Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Told y'all before it was false to the bow. Nothing but the repeat with Wentz back on the throne. All we do is set trends, so you know all we own. Yep, I'm back with the remixes for the jaw. All birds, all Philly, midnight green. Things changing for the better since we got that ring. Put the league on notice, we're not done. 2019, we adding another one, yeah. You heard me right on every Tuesday night. Eight to ten, birds of a feather got that flight. Nothing but the hot takes. Back with the big facts for the fans by the fans. Exactly where we at. Pull up to the tailgate, stop by F1. Baptized by the Pope, been bass for everyone. Flying in from the West Coast, even overseas. Get blessed by Ginger Jesus. We disciples of the tree. E-A-G, wait, C-H-M-P. S, don't stress, we on the same conquest. Dominate the division, destroy the NFC, conquer the A. AFC, grab that Vince Lombardi, went to AJ, climb it up the gut, be grand with the strip sack, this sound familiar, huh? Aguilar on the slot, Sproles with the return, Mills with the pig six, okay, wait, it gets worse, J-Train on the run, J-E hitting from 60, Fletcher C in that D-line, that's what you don't want to see, Earth's catching tubs, foes on another level, the Super Bowl ain't the only time you see that Philly special, we live from Broad Street, brotherly loves the heartbeat, hungry dogs run faster and we don't eat cheap. No one likes us and we don't care Cause we from Philly and we ain't never scared Look up But I just gotta know One thing Are you ready? No! I said Are you You know what? You're not, nah, we're not doing it. We're not doing it today. Nope, nope, Justin, you might as well cut the music. Might as well cut the music. Not, not after, not after what happened Sunday. Nope, we won't do it. I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna stand up in front of here and scream into it. No, it's not, it's not gonna be this type of show today, all right? Boys and girls, there's something that you gotta understand about me, and that is I am an optimist when it comes to my Philadelphia Eagles. Always have been, always will be. That's the way I'm wired to this thing, okay? I'm always going to look for the silver lining. I'm always going to be positive. I'm always going to look on the bright side of things. That's just the way I'm wired. I realize that not everybody's like that, and already you see the negative fans coming out of the woodwork, all right? You see the naysayers, the negative fans, the people that'll tell you that the season's over, that there's no that there's no chance that they're ever going to do anything this season, that it's done, it's finished, finito. Those are the negative fans. But you can't call them negative fans. No, what you got to call them, or what they like to be called, is realists. I'm not a negative fan. I'm a realist. I keep it real. I'm not negative. Well, I'll tell you what. If you're one of those fans right now, I'm in a mood. I'm in a mood tonight. I came into the studio in a friggin' mood. If you're one of those fans, I've heard enough about it, you can go. Scram. Beat it. Get out of here. Turn it off. This podcast tonight is not going to be for you. You think I'm joking. I'm serious. 
Turn it off right now. I'm going to give you three seconds to clear the room. All right, good. Who do we got left? We got the hopers, the dreamers, the believers, the positive fans, even the homers sprinkled into all this, right? Well, slow your roll, Tinkerbell, because I'm not here to fluff this up for you either, all right? I always look to the bright side of things. I want to believe that this team can turn it around, and I do. I want to believe that this team can come back to their 2017 Super Bowl championship winning ways, and I do. I want to believe, but one thing I will absolutely positively not believe is when Doug Peterson comes post-game after what they just pulled against the Carolina Panthers and says this. Well, the message is that, uh, um, you know, Quite frankly, and I told him, I says, you know, we, we have to learn from these. These these are these are things, these are these are games that, that galvanize football teams and, and this is gonna do that. This is gonna bring us even closer together. Um, basically told him that hey, um, not dude. pressure's off of us. No outside world to giving us a chance to do much of anything and pressure's off. Not, I, Doug, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And then the next day in his presser, he has this to say. Yeah, I think I think what you have to understand is I was asked a question about uh, you know the locker room and, and what how I address the football team and part of that was just saying that you know the, listen no one gives us a rats you know winning or losing they just they don't they don't they've kind of written us off so to speak and so uh, I can't listen anymore that just play just 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 play the last clip just play the last clip the great thing about where we are is we still control our division right we still have we still have games in our division ahead of us um, and and quite you know we got what nine games left so there's a lot of lot of ball a lot of football losing yeah. confidence yeah. D- mm. Doug you may have a point there might be a lot of games left you haven't even reached the halfway point in the 2018 season but you've lost more games than you have won you have zero wiggle room right now zero margin for error that's like Deuce Staley inside a, po- a porta potty no wiggle room <laughs> all right you've lost way too many games Jacksonville in London is a must-win game. I don't like saying that this early on in the season, but it's absolutely true. It is a must-win game because here's the facts, all right? This is not opinions. This is not hot takes. These are facts. Let's say for argument's sake that you lose in London. You limp into the bye week at 3-5. and You have to win six out of the last eight games. You have to go six and two in the last eight games to even reach nine and seven. And the optimist inside me says, hey, E-Rock, this division is weak sauce. Nine and seven might win you the division, right? Maybe, maybe not. Because then you take a look at the Redskins. Assuming that the Eagles lose, you got to go six and two for the remainder of the eight games to even reach nine and seven. Meanwhile, you know who the Redskins play next week? The Giants. Everybody beats the Giants. The Giants are the only thing keeping me from having an aneurysm in my head because I get to watch them point and go, ha ha, look at you. You have got to have a better record than the Redskins at the end of the season to win your division. And winning your division is the only chance you have to reaching the postseason. And you have to do better than 9-7. and seven, And you have to beat the Jaguars in London. As far as the pressure is concerned, I don't know what Doug's talking about. But there is pressure there. And it's not the right type of pressure. You didn't have pressure your first year. your first year as head coach. That's fine. Whatever. You get a pass. You didn't have pressure last year. You were playing with house money. Nobody expected you to go to the Super Bowl. If you don't think there's pr- 
pressure right now, you are sorely mistaken. Because there absolutely is pressure. You're the defending Super Bowl champions, and you're not playing championship football. You are not playing first round by football. You're not playing home field advantage throughout football. You're not playing division winning football. You're not even playing wild card football. The pressure is real. It's there. I don't know what kind of Jedi mind trick you're trying to fool your locker room into by giving them that underdog mentality again. But you need to figure out this locker room. And you need to win against Jacksonville. And even if you win against Jacksonville, you still need to go 6-2 and two for the rest of the season. That is pressure. How do you handle it? How do you answer the bell? This, this, this one was tough, man. This is a tough loss. I don't like coming into the studio on days like this. Especially with the way they lost. So I'm going to hand it off to Mr. Gail Saunders. Eagle Sessions on Twitter. How are you this evening, sir? Uh, just like you, bro. I'm not feeling good. I've been been a little depressed, you know, because in the offseason I was sold a bag of goods here on, on the new norm. And in all my Eagle fandom, I was like, yeah, they're embracing the winning culture. You know, I'm like, okay, that's cool. But now as, as we sit here three and four, we ask ourselves the question, what what is the new norm? Is the new norm aging players that can't make it through the season is the new norm coaches not holding players accountable for their play on the field is the new norm uh losing to teams like the bucks the titans the vikings and the panthers to start your season let let me remind you that we haven't even hit the meat and potatoes of this schedule i mean let me let me take a second to talk to you about the content dog you want to know what the content dog is? What is a content dog? The content dog is a full dog, sometimes a lazy dog. And <laughs> Eagle Sessions has been sitting with this quote inside of his head for the last five weeks. Content dogs run slower, and that's what this team is. So, Doug Peterson, if you, you want to turn this team around and you want to play with the pressure off of you and, and – but please don't sell us on the new norm. Cuz you know, you can't champions can't be underdogs forever. Nope. Champions got to play like champions. Preach it. And now as we're sitting here, players do have to look themselves in the mirror and say, "What are we going to do to make this a better place?" And it and it just it just eats at my soul because I am that optimist. I believe that they can do it. I believe that, they, like, like, look, everybody wants to say that was last year. B.S. The, that same roster is still here. I said it before on, on last week's podcast. You can't convince me that the players that left and the coaches that left leave us in this position right here, right now. I think it's exactly what you said. The complacency dog. The lazy dog. That's what I feel like this team is doing right now. Because every single loss that they've had has been more, harder to stomach and harder to understand. I mean, and you talk about, I mean, the, the losses, uh, the four losses that they had are combined 15 points. So you're talking about those little margins of victory. You, you win those games by good coaching. You win those games by hustling. You win by good play calling. It's the, it's the little things that champions, champions do. And they're not doing it. And Rube had a great stat about they played 155 games, uh, you know, 
down by, you know, up by 17 points. And they, they've won like 152 of them. And now we're 152 and three and one. So it's so rare for a team to lose a game in that, fa- for an Eagles team to lose in that fashion. It's been, it's been a long time since it's, it's happened. And, and it, it was embarrassing to walk out of our own stadium with the walk of shame. Um, yeah. You know. Yeah. And we were walking out of the stadium, Trox and I, because we were getting ready to do fan interviews. Man, we thought we had this thing in the bag. So I meander my way down to the main concourse, getting ready to, to exit the stadium, doing the fan interviews, right, that we usually do after a 1 p.m. Yep. game. And, you know, when they win, it's great. The fans are going crazy. You get great content. When they lose, you know, you get that angry content, but it's still like raw, passionate energy. I'm walking out of the stadium with trucks after, after they blow it. Right down, Carson Wentz totally screws that thing up at the end of the at the end of the game, and we're walking out, and there is nothing but silent rage from the fan. There is just people are seething, not saying a word, just seething as they exit the stadium. I say, man, you want to do fan interviews? And then all of a sudden, from behind me, about two people behind me, I just hear this big dude say, "I'm gonna go kick somebody's ass in the parking lot." And I looked at Trucks, and I'm like, "Well, guess we're not doing any fan interviews today." Nope, not gonna not gonna subject myself to that kind of punishment. Not after a loss like that. It's it, it's really befuddling because the first loss against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. All right, first play of the game, you go down seven nothing. First Eagles drive of the game, you lose Jason Peters for the game. Uh, Jay Ajayi's got something going on with his back. You lose Mike Wallace, may, possibly for the season, although he's eligible after Week Eleven. But you lose him. Now you're reshuffling things around. It's hot out. You fight back. But, okay, fine, Mulligan. You, like, all right, you're going to win some. You're going to lose some. It just wasn't in the cards for you uh, that day. It's week two. No big deal. And then the Tennessee Titans thing comes around. And you lead in the second quarter, in the third quarter, in the fourth quarter, in overtime. And then literally you just give that game away. You give that game away to a point where the Tennessee Titan players are going to their own first row to talk crap to the Eagles fans because they can't sell out their own stadium. It's just frustrating. And then, and then the Minnesota Vikings game comes around, right? And, and, and it's like you get dominated from whistle to whistle. All 60 minutes, you get dominated. But again, there's like a voice saying, all right, this was their Super Bowl. It meant more to them than it did for us. This was their revenge factor. But then what you did against Carolina, I'm sorry, it's just inexcusable. It's inexcusable. Championship teams do not let 17-point leads go in the fourth quarter. You had them. You absolutely, positively had them. The Eagles held the Panthers to 106 yards before the final four possessions. That is dominance. That is dominance right there. Panthers put up 226 yards on, on uh, 26 fourth quarter snaps and were three for four on fourth down. What did you, or third down, what did you do? You just took your foot off the gas. You just let them off the hook. I feel like Denny Green up here. They are who we thought they were, who we thought they were, and we let them off the hook. It's just so incredibly frustrating. Hollywood Hearn, working the soundboard today. How are you this evening? I'm going to keep it at a low volume, at a, at a uh, regular room I'm volume. Sorry. I'm sorry. No, I'm not, I'm not asking you to apologize. I'm not saying that you did anything wrong. I just, I, I'm trying my hardest not to jump out of my chair and start screaming right now. Like, I really have no idea what the hell is going on with this team. Um, I talked last week about a lack of identity and um, a lack of confidence, and it's, there's nothing more apparent right now that this team 
just lacks heart, and they, the the coaching staff lacks confidence in our team. And Jason Ashworth, um, he, he was on our, he was on our podcast last week, and he ended up putting something out on Twitter after the game last week. And I, I agree with it wholeheartedly. And he said that last year, and this alludes to what you were saying, Gail. Last year, the Eagles were hungry. And this year, they're fat and full of themselves. And that's exactly what this team is. It's just the, the drive to go out there and win the hunger for a Super Bowl, it's just evaporated. It's just gone. And I was sitting here as the show was starting, and I'm listening to Piccolo's intro song. And I'm just listening, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about the Aguilar and, and, and Jake Elliott hitting the 61-yard bomb and just what, how much fun last year was. For God's sakes, I was so excited. I got a tattoo last week. Oh, yeah. about, show, about, show, about, show the people the on YouTube. Show the people so, on YouTube the yank. There you go. Badass. But um, I was so excited about last season. The, the entire year was just a dream for me. So I went and put it on my body in remembrance. And this team seems to have forgotten about it within a year. I just don't know where the team that the, the Eagles of last year are. I mean, for God's sakes, within three weeks, we've had the Titans and we had the blown, the Corey Graham blown fourth and 15 play. Last drive of, uh, of the Panthers game, we got fourth and 10, let up. That's the game right there. Like you said, these games have come down to it, all, all we've lost by, this, the point differential in our losses is 15 points this entire year. Mm. It's, it's, one, it's one drive, one, one scoring drive away from, I don't know what happened to the Eagles, man, but they need to turn it around. And at the pace that they're going right now, we've got no wiggle room at all. And no, they're, 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 you're, you're out of wiggle room. Yeah, That's there, it. There, there's no more. We, we've exhausted all of our throwaway losses for the season. There's, mm-hmm. there's no more. You, you, have to, you have to win all the games, all the important games from here on out. Yeah, there's no, there's no more phone a friend. Yeah, there, there, there's no more ask somebody or poll the audience. That's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. That's it. Put you, up or shut up. You lose. You lost all your lifelines already, mm-hmm. and the season isn't halfway over. Yeah, like and, that- and you've got the hardest opponents still to come. We we lost these games that we that we thought were going to be cupcake games. We thought that this was going to set the foundation for the entire season. That we were going to win these early games, and then mm-hmm. that was going to allow us to have some throwaway losses in the middle of the season. We've lost all our throwaway losses. We've got we've got the Seahawks. We've got the Rams. What the, the hell? I'm sorry, not the Seahawks. I was thinking of yeah, the Rams and the Saints. Yeah. The Rams and the Saints. Yeah. I mean, they got to go seven and two just to be ten and six. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. Like I, like, I can't believe at this point I'm just begging and pleading for the Eagles. And I know I predicted it in the beginning of the season that the Eagles would go into the bye week four and four. I didn't want to be right on that. No, I, yeah, I, I didn't want to be right Spoke on that. Spoke it into existence. No, nah, don't yeah. give me that. I, I, I did, I, trust me. I'm not feeling good about it right now. But I can't believe I'm begging and pleading this team just to get the nine and seven in the hopes that a unspectacular, very average Washington Redskins team kind of craps the bed. Yeah. And then the and then the the Dallas Cowboys played themselves with the first round pick going for Amari Cooper. L- l- listen to what you're asking for versus what you were asking for to start the third season. When you're pounding the table, there's nothing oh above the repeat. There's nothing above the repeat. We're begging to get in the playoffs. We won the Super Bowl in February. Yeah. Are you kidding? No. It, this it, is the same squad. 
And we've got a lot to get into. We got trade, possible trades to talk about. We've got Derek Barnett going on injured reserve. The injury bug has been like the men in black, like that that cockroach thing wearing the Edgar suit at the end, the men in black just swallowing us whole. That's the kind of injury bug we're dealing with. We got the Jags in London and all that. We've got John McMullen calling in at about 9.30 to talk about the Eagles from 97.3 ESPN. But before we get to all of that, oh, and you know what we're going to do? We're going to throw out the, uh, we're going to toss in the chaos grenade. We're going to do it. Today's going to be the day. Because 4th and John wants to be a podcast for the people. So we want to hear from the people. So for the first time since we've signed with NBC, we're going to open up the phone lines and we want to hear from you. We want to give you an outlet to vent. But listen, you kind of got to meet me halfway on this thing. All right. So I got to lay some ground rules because I've been scared to open up the phone lines and I'm taking a risk here. So here, you got to help me out. Meet me halfway. All right. We're going to have a lot of people lined up to vent their frustrations. Make it quick. Make your point. Get in. Get out. All right. Don't you're not auditioning to be a stat analyst for Pro Football Focus. All right. Leave the pie charts and the stat charts at home. Make your point. Get in. Get out. And please, no cursing. Please, no cursing. Because I don't want to get an email Wednesday morning from the suit saying that we can't go to the phones anymore. So don't curse and ruin it for everybody. Because then I got to everybody. Nobody can go. So we're going to give the phone number out uh, shortly before we go on with John McMullen. But the last person I want to introduce in studio from a fellow Wildfire podcast here from 215 Live, it's Frankie. Hi, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I love the applause. It's a nice effect you got there. Uh, Yeah, I mean, let's talk football. So the last time I have been fully confident was heading into Nashville. Um, I was down there. The vibe was great. Eagles fans everywhere. We took over the city. Like there was nothing like I've ever seen before. It was my first road game. It was a great experience until they lost. Mm -hmm. And yes, I know they beat the Giants, but even going into that game after losing to the Vikings, yeah, I didn't know what team was going to show up. Um, so when this loss came this Sunday, I was laughing to be honest. And I wasn't pissed until I heard, uh, Doug's presser at the end of the game. When, you know, we played it earlier and when he said the pressure's off and yada, 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 when, you know, that's just not the case. And I don't know how he can just sit back and pick his feet up and think everything's okay. Um, I think it's just a lack of accountability, especially because that's just the kind of city that we are, like, as Philly people, like, that we just hold everyone accountable. And I don't think he's held certain people accountable, especially Jim Schwartz. I mean, he said it on Monday that him and Jim were going to have a conversation about, I guess, their scheme or whatever. But there's a lot of things that need to be addressed, and I I just don't think they are. Yeah, they get, they, they absolutely 100% got to get it together. I'm not—we've talked before on this podcast about Doug Peterson and the players showing an overall lack of confidence. It's visible. It's palpable. You can see it in the way the players are operating. You can see it in the way the defense is called. You can see it in some of the offensive play calling as well, not going forward, not having the cojones. There was a point in time last year where if it was 3rd and 11, we laughed. You, 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 you think you're going to stop us on 3rd and 11? Wait a Carson. Wait till you see this. Wait till you see this. Right now, if it's third and 11, do you have any confidence whatsoever that the Eagles are going to get that first down? If they have the lead, do you have any confidence at this point that they're going to keep it? 
If they get behind, do you have any confidence that they can battle back and win those tight games like they did last year? And if we're feeling that overall lack of confidence, you know the players on the field are feeling that overall lack of confidence. Frank, I'll go back to what you said about and what I said about Doug Peterson's press conference. I'm not sure what kind of Jedi mind trick you're trying to fool your locker room into. Mm. But you need to get these guys focused. You need to get these guys hungry. Somebody needs to go out there and make a play. Because you're absolutely right. The margin of, of victory and defeat hasn't been that far off. What was it, 15 points that 15 you said? 15 points, yeah. And being the optimist that I am, early on in the season when the Eagles were 1-1, one one, people were like, well, they could easily be 0-2. And then when they were th- they they were two and uh, two and one, they were like, well, they could easily be zero and three. Right now, I'm looking at a team that should be five and five and two. Right, mm-hmm. five and two, and getting ready to beat the Jaguars in London, and then have a stretch of NFC East games. But instead, I'm talking about a team that can't get their act together. In a variety of situations. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not just... And, and the frustrating part is not just one thing that you can point at yep. and say, this is the problem. Mm-hmm. Points per game we talked about, turnover ratio we talked about. But you can't point... It's Jim Schwartz. It's Doug Peterson. There's arguments on the timeline. Is it this? Is it that? It's everything. And this team as a whole is capable of winning... Gail, how do they get to the point where they get back there? Like, what is going wrong? Well, I, I think one thing that's not being really uh, talked about too much is Carson Wentz. Like, you saw how phenomenal he was playing. Uh, it was play, playing lights out. And there was at one point in the game, Spad, uh, Spadaro got on the big screen and was talking about how great Wentz was playing. And we looked, the guys that I was watching the game was with, with Prime and uh, Tim, and we looked at each other like, oh, God, that's a jinx right there. Like I was just like, don't do that right now. Uh, but his ability to get to that third read, he loves you know Alshon Jeffrey, loves Zach Ertz. Who's going to be that third option and step up in this offense? You know, you're thinking about that the Vikings game mm-hmm. and him throwing that pass to Wendell Smallwood in the in the outs. Now he comes back. It's third and two. Wendell Smallwood is wide open. Is that confidence level? There with Wendell Smallwood for, for him to just throw it to him versus throwing it in double coverage. Uh, so I think, uh, like you said, the confidence has to get back. They have to get back in sync. Um, but there's, they, like you said, there's there's so many moving parts. You know, there's so many mo- moving parts. Whether it be, do we have a corner that 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 doesn't bite the double move every single game? Whether it be the left or right side, it's a problem. It is a problem. And when we, when we start talking about Patrick Peterson, you know, it makes you de- desperate for a, a player like that to play big in big situations. And at the end of the day, we need somebody to step up. Well, well, well let's get into it. Let's get into it before we, we bring John in because there is, you know, trade rumors out there. There's been trade speculation for week, weeks. Whether you talk about Le'Veon Bell, whether you talk about Johnson, whether you talk about McCoy, whether you talk about some receivers. Now the big hot ticket, the big hot name, the big hot rumors, Patrick Peterson. Gail, give me your opinion. Do you or don't you? And if you do, what do you give up to do? Um, if the price is right, um, a second and a third I would be okay with. Uh, I, 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 you know, I'm a draft guy. I don't like giving away draft picks, but thinking long term and thinking right now, he's a guy that upgrades your defense. We're talking about we need offense, we need offense, but you bring this guy. He's the top five cornerback in the league. Mm-hmm. He solidifies. He's the Malcolm Jenkins, like what Malcolm Jenkins is to the safety position. Mm-hmm. Patrick Peterson would be that guy for the cornerback position. He would solidify that area. I think 
you're thinking long term, he's signed for the next couple of years. Uh, you, the, I don't want to pay Ronald Darby that money. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you're looking at what what Ronald Darby's probably going to make in the in the market. He's going to get he's going to get paid. Yeah. Uh, I'd rather pay Patrick Peterson, and he's locked up, and he's a, he's a, a championship uh, mental mental guy off the field and on the field. Uh, yeah. But uh, you know, it's I, I'm not giving up a first. Can he bring Larry Fitz with him? <laughs> All right, well, well that, there's some leadership right there, but that that is so highly unlikely. Yeah, nah, now, nah. the first round pick, I'm I'm 100 percent with you. Like I'm not I'm not giving up I'm not giving up a first. And I know there was a report earlier today or, or, or something on Twitter about multiple firsts yeah, and you get a first second this back. year, next year. No, no, it was, abs- it was abs- Jeremiah Daniel, Daniel Jeremiah. He threw that out there. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely, positively not. No, absolutely, positively not, because like first round picks, you got to treat like gold bullion. And I don't think out there in the trade market, in the trade universe, is the football Jesus that's going to walk on water into the Novacare complex and save the day. I, hon- I, honestly, I honestly don't think that. I, I, I think you have to deal with the guys that you currently have and get them focused and dialed in. A first-round pick, you got to treat that like gold. Not only that, but uh, Bleeding Green Nation, right? They they had, a, I forget whether it's a tweet or an article out, but they did a very well thought out, but very clearly defined set of statistics. Because you know me, Gail, if I if I start reading an article, article and it's nothing but numbers, 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 I go cross-eyed. I can't. But this was well thought out and it was easy to understand. Uh, since the modern era of football, which is basically 1990 till now, there have been 183 teams that have gone three and four. 54% of those teams finish sub 500. 54% of them. 17.5% make the playoffs. 60% of which were one and done. 8% of those teams, again, 8% of the teams since 1990 that have gone three and four have won the division. Six percent of them have won the Super Bowl, and only one of 183 have actually won the Super Bowl. So if you're a betting man, if you're an analyst, if you're talking stats, right now you're putting your money on the fact that the Eagles are going like seven and nine, something like that, sub 500, seven and nine, which, by the way, a seven and nine record – Last year's draft got you between picks 11 and 15. I'm not giving up a pick between 11 and 15 for Patrick Peterson. I would love Patrick Peterson on this team, but a first-round pick, sorry, too rich for my blood. We're going to uh, we're gonna go ahead and get him on, and maybe he can speak on, on it a little bit. John McMullen from 97.3 ESPN is on the line with 4th and John. How are you tonight, John? Doing well. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you coming on. So the so beside we're going to get to the what happened against Carolina. We're going to get into what we should expect against the Jacksonville Jaguars. But the big thing on the timeline, the big talking point right now is the trade. The trade deadline, I believe, is next week. And there have been names floated out there everywhere from Le'Veon Bell to LaShawn McCoy uh, to wide receivers. But the but the big one right now is Patrick Peterson. Do would you if you were in the Eagles shoes and you were Howie Roseman would you or wouldn't you and if you do what would you give up to get him from the Cardinals? Well, hey, let me say I don't think the Cardinals are trading him. Uh, number one, 
generally you don't trade your best player. Uh, obviously, from his standpoint, he's he's the one kind of driving this and the fact that uh, he's frustrated and, and probably wants to go to a contender. Uh, but that doesn't mean Arizona has to trade him. So that's number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're able to get him, yeah, I mean, a- anytime you're able to bring in a lockdown corner, it's very unlikely. I heard you mentioning even if things go wrong for the Eagles and they are in that 11 to 15 range, the odds are you're going to find a player like Patrick Peterson are, are even slim at that level. So I, I would certainly uh, not be adverse to bringing him in here uh, by any stretch of the imagination. I think there's a domino effect from that point. Uh, you have a lockdown corner. You can do a lot more things on, on the defensive side of the football. I think it improves you greatly. So you always, if there's a chance to get that kind of talent, you have to explore it. You have to uh, do your due diligence. Uh, so I don't have an issue with, with Howie Roseman making those calls, and he certainly is. Uh, so from that standpoint, yeah, I mean, if you can get them, you, you bring them in, and then you sort of let the chips fall where they may. If that means benching Jalen Mills, if that means moving them inside – that means moving into safety. That's what you do. Uh, this is a difference maker. This is a different kind of player. What do you make of Doug Peterson's post-game press conference talk and the fact that he said that the pressure is now off of this team and kind of not really doubled down, but re-explained himself uh, on Monday during that press conference where he said, well, the the pressure, you know, everyone's trying to make plays, but you don't, you know, there's a lot of plays in a game, so on and so forth. What do you make of that kind of message? Is he trying to fool his own locker room into believing something like an underdog theory last year? Or is he going for some other, like, I'm having trouble rationalizing what he said, not once, but twice in my own head. What do you make of that? Well, I think Doug has sort of a default setting of us versus them. Uh, And I I think it might stem from his career as as a lightly regarded backup quarterback. He's sort of got this chip on his shoulder uh, that nobody believes in him. And he sold the underdog theory last year. I I think it's kind of laughable. I always say, guys, the Eagles weren't underdogs last year. We all thought they were a really good team. What happened is once they lost Carson Wentz, we thought they couldn't overcome that. No one was disrespecting this team up and down the locker room and and how people were playing. It's just the reality of this league is if you lose an MVP candidate, you're probably not going to recover from that. So that's where that whole sort of theory started and players bought into it. Uh, Here you're talking about a team that's three and four, obviously, so they played seven games. They've been favored in all seven games. They're favored mm. again in London. They've been favored in every game. So you can't play the underdog role, not to mention you're the Super Bowl champions. You kind of turn that corner in the offseason by by using the target reference. Now the target's on our back. Uh, so I, I think it's just a personal thing. Maybe the Mike Lombardi thing, you can add that into the mix of – that disrespect to Doug Peterson. I just think it's, it's who he is and he thinks it's us versus them, but it's probably not reality, uh, but that's just the way he looks at things. 
also in his press conference, it's always a red flag, or you know things aren't going good with an organization. There's two red flags that have already happened this season. Number one, you got players talking about the fans. And already you had Jalen Mills earlier on in the season talking about fake fans. That never ends well for anybody, especially in a city like Philadelphia. The other red flag that always happens is when a coach starts getting chippy with the media and saying, well, you try doing this job. You try standing next to me. You try making those calls. Are you noticing with Doug Peterson's press conferences, are those red flags, those internal like confidence red flags kind of flying off for you like they are for me? No, I I mean, from our standpoint, I I mean – he gets chippy occasionally. He gets frustrated. I, I mean, I, I can't speak for anybody, but I don't take that kind of stuff personally. Uh, when you when you talk about, you know, questioning our ability to ask questions about what went on in the game, I mean, you're just failing to understand the conduit and what we're there for. So that part of it is, you know, Doug has never been, and especially when you talk about, early in his career here the first year and coming off chip kelly who was great at press conferences and always won press conferences and always had a uh, a unique quip to throw uh, at somebody but it's not about winning press conferences uh mm. it's about uh, winning football games so uh obviously that hasn't happened enough this year uh i think he gets frustrated with the run pass ratio stuff, especially in the modern NFL, uh, because a, it's a passing league, uh, B there's a ton of RPOs. So when people look at the black and white of nine straight passes, as he tried to explain, he called whatever it was, three RPOs, uh, where there could be a run built in depending on what Carolina is doing. It's a different game. And, and, you know, you hear it all the time. I talk about it all the time on our show. And the fact that, there's this 1975 mentality that you're, you, you have to run the football to win in this league. I, I think Doug has proven to be ahead of the curve, actually, uh, and his consistent aggressiveness. Look, people love it when it works, and <laughs> when it doesn't work, obviously they don't love it. But the identity of this team is to be aggressive, and I think more often than not, you're liable to blow a 17 point lead if you go into a shell. And I, I give at least Doug credit for, you know, keeping the foot on the gas didn't work out on Sunday. Now, John, speaking of being aggressive, uh, you know, with the trade deadline, what I believe like seven days away, are there any realistic names that you have uh, that the Eagles sh- should target? Yeah. I mean, I, I think they're going to do something, but I, I think there's one part of this that, people haven't thrown into the hopper because of Howie Roseman, his reputation, and it's a well-earned one. Uh, he, he likes to move. He likes to make moves. Uh, now you have to start to seriously question, is it worth uh, doing something drastic and, and giving away significant assets? Because with all the injuries piling up, Derek Barnett, the latest today, are you even going to be in a position to challenge a team like the Los Angeles Rams if you do make a big move. I, I never thought the Le'Veon Bell stuff was anything serious. Never thought the Shady stuff was anything serious. 
when you start talking about these teams that are in sell mode, the Broncos and Raiders specifically, you start talking about guys like Bradley Roby, Gary and Connolly. If they're available, yeah, that's something I think that is legitimate. Uh, if, if for some reason, and similar to what I said with Patrick Peterson, if the Broncos decided uh, Emmanuel Sanders is on the trading block, there's another name that would interest me. But everybody loves the big names. I think Eagles fans are going to be thrilled that the Cowboys wasted the first-round pick on Amari <laughs> Cooper. Uh, I don't want any part of Demarius Thomas. You look at his uh, cap number next year. You look at all his drops uh, since 2015. So it, that's just the nature of every fan base, not just this one. You see a big name, you want him. That's not necessarily the way you should go, though. Before we let you go, John, and we appreciate all the time that you've given us, it would be hard to ask you, listen, how do you fix this? What, what do you do to right the ship? So I want to ask you, just give me one thing that the Eagles need to do to right the ship, whether it's on the offensive side of the ball, defensive side of the ball, or coaching. In your opinion, give me one thing that the Eagles need to do to get this season back on track and to get into the postseason. Well, I, to be honest, I think if you look at it from a num number standpoint, you look at this league in general, even coming off the implosion on Sunday, this defense has generally played well enough to win most games. The fact that you're scoring 17 points in this era is just not good enough, especially with an offensive-minded coach and a quarterback uh, who's a legit MVP candidate, uh, was last year, and is playing well this year. But for whatever reason, Things are not clicking on the offensive side of the ball. Part of its injuries, I, I think the low-key aspect uh, is the fact that Mike Wallace isn't here, Matt Collins isn't here, and you don't have that guy who can pop the top on the defense. Nelson Aguilar is not that guy. He can run, but he can't track the football, so he's not a deep threat. Uh, and you've seen the way the Eagles, Eagles have used him. He's basically a manufactured touch guy at this point. They're giving him the ball behind the line of scrimmage, a couple of yards in front of the yard of scrimmage, uh, trying to get yards after catch. So it, absent of making a move and bringing in a big-time talent, of the guys in that locker room, as strange as it sounds, and I'm not talking about production. I don't need production. Look at Torrey Smith last year. Torrey Smith is not a good football player, mm. uh, and he hasn't been really in about five years. He was bad in San Francisco. He's bad here, even though he made the big play yeah. when Jalen Mills slipped. He's still a bad player on the Carolina Panthers. But what he was is a presence, mm. a presence that you have to respect on the football field. And that opened up things underneath for the Jeffries and the intermediate range and the Zach Ertz's and the Nelson Aguilar's and everybody else. The flats for Corey Clement, Wendell Smallwood, if Darren Sproles ever gets back. I would put Shelton Gibson on the field just to run, go routes, and, and stretch the field. I don't care if he does anything else. The vertical. But Doug, yeah, Doug wants to play 11 personnel anyway, three wide receivers. Uh, and and that's, that's what he prefers. Uh, again, it's not about production. I don't think Shelton Gibson is a good player or, or is going to be impactful, but it is about presence, and he can run. So I think of the guys in that locker room, that's the tweak I would make.
Awesome. John McMullen, 97.3 ESPN. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much for calling in and giving us your thoughts on the Eagles. Appreciate it, bud. Thank you, John. Hey, thank you, guys. Thank you, thank you. All right, Gail, you, 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 you heard me ask John. Okay, give me one thing. Because to go over everything is just too much of a task. We could spend the next five hours inside of this studio nitpicking little things that need to be done in order for the Eagles to right the ship and hopefully win the games that they got to win to have a better record than the Washington Redskins. So, so Gail, give me one thing that the Eagles can do to right the ship. Uh, I would like them to commit to the run game a little bit more than just a run pass option or a, a screen in the end of the fourth quarter. I mean, you look at the fourth quarter, they ran like one running play to close it out. I think like you you just have to stay aggressive. And, and part of the aggressive mentality is having your lineman go down there and beat the crap out, out of the guy across the line. I don't care if they're 700-pound linemen like Doug Peterson said. Like he's got he's to gotta stand up and be aggressive and, and take this team, this offensive unit, uh, by the throat and say, look, we, we got to dictate to teams what we're going to do. We can't be sitting back and resting on our laurels, just like you talked about the Jacksonville Jaguars resting on their laurels with the New, New England Patriots and why they lost, uh, you know, taking their foot off the gas. We need to start being aggressive and getting back to Eagle football from last season. Um, the one thing that I think the Eagles need to work on, I don't even think it's something that they're going to be showing on the field on game day. I think it's going to be every other day leading up prior to that. Uh, the one thing that needs to happen with the Eagles is somebody in the locker room needs to step up and be a leader for this team and light a fire under their ass. I really think that what needs to happen is they need to get that fire from last season. And I know it's hard to recreate something. that like well, The Eagles waited... 50 years to get their first Super Bowl, and I know you can't recreate that and make it artificially, but someone needs to come in there angry. Someone needs to light the fire underneath of everybody else and get and get them riled up, and they need to come in and do it week in and week out. Um, I feel like this team is just, uh, Gail, they're content dogs is, is what they are, and um, they're still living off of the high of a few months ago, and um, Malcolm Jenkins... Fletcher Cox's, the Carson Wentz's of the world need to go in there and just snap everybody's mind out of it. I like that. I like that. Gail, by the way, loved your intro- introductory statements. The, the, the content dogs. Oh, just, what, did, what did you call great. them? The lazy dogs. He's been full sitting on dog. that quote for the, 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 five the weeks. Full dog. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, that, that, that yeah. was absolutely out, out, outstanding. Evan, to speak to what you're talking about, Doug Peterson does have this leadership committee, right? Mm-hmm. And you, you always hear, whether it's with the Eagles or other teams around the NFL, a players-only meeting, mm-hmm. right? The coaches get locked out of it. And all of a sudden, the beat writers are tweeting, oh, man, there's a players-only meeting. Yep. Where's the players-only meeting this time? Yep. Where's the players-only meeting for this guy? Where's the Malcolm Jenkinses of the world? Mm-hmm. The Brandon Graham, Carson Wentz, Zach Ertz standing up in front of the whole team and being like, dude, we're defending Super Bowl champions. Mm-hmm. I don't care what Doug says about pressure. We need to get the job done. You're absolutely right. Somebody, a leader, a leadership committee, call a players-only meeting. It's about time. I know Malcolm Jenkins in the offseason was like, you know, take that Super Bowl stuff out of this locker room right yeah. now. Like, take it down. I don't want to see it. Like, you know, this is about now. Mm-hmm. This is about winning now. Not last year. That was great last season. I think 
you know, I do think uh, they do have to have a heart to heart with the team. Yeah. And and write the ship. And I think I think that there are some leaders that are that are going into the practices with that mentality. I think Malcolm Jenkins, like how you said, he's asking everything everything to be taken off the walls. I think he's going into these into these practices into this entire season with that mentality. I just think that that's not permeating into the rest of the locker room. And he, somebody, the players only meeting is the thing I think that ultimately has to happen. They they themselves are the ones that need to ignite this team because Doug Peterson obviously isn't doing it. Frankie, give me one thing that the Eagles need to fix in order to right the ship, get into the postseason, get this thing done. Well, I definitely agree um, with Evan. There's just something that's missing. Just the overall tone with this team is just different. I don't know what it is. That's not my one thing, though. I would like to see the defense blitz more and just bring more pressure that way. That's Mm. just what I Mm -hmm. personally enjoy seeing. I've always loved defense and big defensive plays, and I think we were always spoiled with, you know, growing up with Jim Johnson and having that Mm. type of defense. So, and it sucks that it's not. We don't. It's just not there anymore. Interesting. Interesting. I have a tendency to go to the offensive side of the ball because statistically speaking, and statistics always lie, but statistically speaking, the defense is kind of right on par from where it was last year. So I, I want to go to the offensive side of the ball, but I'm going to sneak it back to the defense because Doug Peterson has done a great job, whether it's Carson Wentz or Nick Foles, kind of adapting his game plan and his offense around the strengths of the quarterback, right? Or the strengths of what they have on the offense. Now they got two tight ends, the strengths of the wide receivers, right? When it wasn't clicking for Nick Foles, he went back into Chip Kelly's bag of tricks, dug up some old film, and started incorporating some stuff that made him successful into the offense. I don't think Jim Schwartz is playing not only to the strengths of his defense, Mm -hmm. but more importantly, the weaknesses. You know these corners get dogged on double moves every single time, week after week, game after game. Why are we playing this inverted Tampa 2? Was it not in New York at MetLife Stadium that for the first time it almost looked funny to see. We were wondering if the defensive backs were lining up incorrectly. Press coverage, what the hell is that? Press coverage, Jalen Mills is up against Odell Beckham Jr. right in his face. Are you serious right now? Am am my eyes fooling me? Jim Schwartz is, is trying to fit pieces into his defensive scheme that right now are just getting manipulated and the book is out on it. Yeah, I mean, Jalen Mills, man, you, you, you're trying to play man coverage with Jalen Mills who runs a 4-6-ish on guys that run 4-3-ish. And giving him 10 yards. That, that, that's, a, that's a very difficult task. Like, I don't, I don't especially running backwards. Uh, so, like you said, in the Giants game, we're sitting there looking at it. It was like, it was like some present uh, underneath the Christmas tree. Like, wow. They're playing press man, and they're playing, uh, you know, they're playing cover two. And they got, you know, they have security blankets in the back end. Like, why is that an issue? It's it's about setting up your player. I've been saying this for weeks, setting your players up to succeed. Like, put them in the, the worst situations to make them look worse. Right. Er, if that's even <laughs> a word, it's not. But, it's not. you know, that you got you got to make your players succeed. Exactly. And, and, and like, not – Picking on Jalen Mills, but talking to what Jalen Mills does good, you're right. He, he he bites on the double moves. He's not quick. He doesn't have that makeup speed. 
What he is is physical. Get him on it, dude. Disrupt the timing of that offense. Get him pressed up against a guy. And I know it's not Jim Schwartz's M.O. to blitz a lot because he believes in the pressure that's brought by the front four. But now you're down one other defensive end who's out for the year with rotator cuff surgery. By the way, we'll see you in training camp, Derek Barnett. We won't see you anytime soon. But the pressure is not getting there. You're getting quarterback pressure. It's not equating sacks. It's not equating turnovers. So now, listen, you can live by the blitz and you can die by the blitz. And we've seen examples of both time and time again. But I'd rather you do something, change up something, than nothing. You know, so if I'm going to point to one thing, I would love to look at the offensive side of the ball and say fix X, Y, and Z. But at the end of the day, Jim Schwartz, you've got to fit your defense to not only the strengths of the players that are in there, but also their weaknesses around the league. That 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 would be the one thing that I would do. Agreed? Agreed. Yeah. Okay. There's a little, uh, yeah, yeah. I'll go with that. All right. Then let's take it around the league. I want to go around the league with Evan Hollywood Hearn. Hey, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, so to get our minds off of uh, yeah, our, our own do. woes. Please do. The Atlanta Falcons, uh, specifically Julio Jones, has some woes of his own. Uh, Julio has... He's having a decent year, 50, really good year, 53 catches for 812 yards, but he's yet to find the end zone. And this isn't the first time in uh, Julio's career that he's had this problem. Last year, he had 1,400 yards and only found the goal line three times. So I just want to know, how can you be so elite but can't find the goal line? Well, I mean, if you, if you look at, just go back and look at, uh, you know, if you want to see the all 22 and you know, do your film study, uh, you see that he's getting bracketed. Sometimes he gets, like, you know, three dudes on him. Mm-hmm. Um, and it becomes it's tough. And then you see other guys eating. You look at Calvin Ridley, who's had what like six touchdowns already. Yeah. Uh, Sanu has also been eating. That's what happens when you have guys that can succeed when you're getting getting all the attention. So that's why, man. I, I mean, he's he's elite. I think I think Gale nailed it perfectly. When you're in the red zone, all of a sudden the field shortens. Yeah. So the ability to burn people. You don't have the room to burn people. So that's that's the downfall from having the guy, right? That's the downfall from having the one guy is you can take away the guy. You can bracket the guy. You can double the guy. And that's what's supposed to be beneficial about the Eagles because Alshon Jeffrey might be the guy, but you got Zach Ertz. What are you going to do with him? You got Dallas Goddard. What are you going to do with him? You got Nelson Aguilar. What are you going to do with him? So on and so forth. And for some reason, unlike... Julio Jones, who is eating between the 20s and struggling in the red zone, the entire Eagles offense is struggling within the red zone. And the funny thing is about, uh, you know, Jim Schwartz and his, his lack of using Russell Douglas, Jim Schwartz will leave Russell Douglas on island versus Julio Jones. And Julio Jones comes up with a pick, but you're just thinking about, like, we just talked about setting your players up to succeed. He'll he'll put a guy like Russell Douglas on an island against Julio Jones while other teams will put, like, three dudes on him. Yeah. It's kind of funny, right? It is funny. doesn't make sense. What else we got? So, um, regardless of what you think of his uh, play calling, not play calling style, but the way that he um, is broadcast the game, the Boogermobile, Booger McFarland, (laughs) found out on uh, Monday Night Football. I'm not sure if you guys have seen his setup at all. But yeah. they, they've they've got like a uh, they re rigged like a um, 
like a cherry picker truck, and he sits at the top of it and just goes with the line of scrimmage throughout the entire game. However, the problem is all those fans that paid all that money to sit in the front rows of the stadium are complaining that the Bookermobile is blocking their view. Oh, because there's a TV on it, right? Uh, there's there's a person a on it. There's a person yeah, with, with, with his his whole setup. It's like the third guy in the booth <laughs> is down there on the field. So, uh, what would you guys be complaining if the Boogermobile was in front of you at, at the link? Well, <laughs> all right. First of all, I'll never dog a network or a new trio or or just trying to do something different. Okay, mm-hmm. it's something different. They're giving it a try. But you see the issue. But I, I do see the issue. But understand, the issue was going to be there whether Booger was there or not. Because that little cherry picker, I almost got ran over by that a couple times when I was with the Eagles. Because really? that thing, that camera, we used to sit directly at the line of scrimmage. And that thing travels the sideline. So it's easy to look at Bug and take a video and yell, Hey, Bug, move your butt. We can't see the game. That camera was going to be there and has always been there. Has always been there because there's a television camera there. Now it's just Boog, and it's easy to yell at him because he's got a funny name. And 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 (laughs) and you know this whole concept is weird. I don't like it. I don't have a problem with them for reaching out and really trying to do something different. Unrelated topic though, and Gail, I'll let you answer. I I don't know why, but I really want Jason Witten to be good. I, I'm, I'm really rooting for the guy. I, I just, and he's not. Yeah. Like, he messes up his face. You Trust me, it is hard to speak in front of a microphone. Yeah. We're all amateurs doing that, and you'll hear me stutter upon my words yeah. and not complete a thought. Jason Witten is leaving whole three or four words out of whole sentences. <laughs> he looks as stiff as a board oh, on yeah. camera. Even when he's <laughs> sitting there not stay, saying anything, he looks he's got a, like he's got a stick up his rear end. I so think, who do you think I is think the, the Cowboys best? won to trade uh, uh, on, on Amari Cooper. Get out of here, bro. Yeah, and you, you, you better just word to the wise, not only for Eagles fans or anybody else in the NFC East, just overall, ask Troy Aikman. Lose the Cowboys bias as quickly as possible. And also, Booger Mark Farland looks like a human milk dud. <laughs> yeah. Go look at the images. All the images. Milk duds? Then go look at milk duds, and I'm telling you. Frankie, what do you think about the Boogermobile? Um, I mean, if it were in front of me, I would be annoyed. Yeah. But, I mean, I guess it's kind so, of unnecessary. Who do you guys think is, uh, going off of your whole Jason Witten thing, who do you think <laughs> is the best and worst? <laughs> who do you think? Is, yeah, Gail's showing a picture of Booger McFarland right now. Human milk dud. Human milk dud. Who do you think is the best and worst um, play-by-play guys calling call football games right now? Uh, Troy Aikman, Joe Buck. As much as everybody hates Joe Buck and everybody thinks that he's biased against his team, yeah. Joe Buck makes the best calls I mean, so, so if you listen to that man mm-hmm. during those big plays, those big moments, nobody does it better. And Troy Aikman does a phenomenal job as color. You say they're the best? They're the best. Joe Buck and uh, White Jay-Z? No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a couple memes out there. Chill. Troy Aikman looks like the White Jay-Z. Yeah, that's true. It's phenomenal. Oh, I can There's see that. I, you'll never look at him the same ever again after viewing those memes. But you know, you know who else, like... I think Tony Romo has the opportunity to be yeah. really good. Yeah, he's a natural. Just, yeah, just a, and he is a natural. You talk about taking a guy from the field and putting him in the booth. You see, Tony Romo makes it look easy. Jason Witten makes it look hard. You know what I mean? But Tony Romo, 
the way he calls out the plays and says, look for this and look for that, I wonder five years from now, if five years removed from the league, if he's going to be as good as, at that. Mm-hmm. But he's phenomenal at it. He is. I, I, I love the fact that he knows the league. He knows the, the meticulous, mm. you know, the plays, how they're breaking down. And, and then he actually knows the players that you know, they're going to get picked on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's great to he see. He adds valuable information it's not just like oh when i played we did this no like he's actually giving you stuff to work with right and he gets it right yeah i mean every time they line up in formation he gets it it. like like and it's things that you would think like all right they're gonna toss it like even trick kind of plays, intricate plays he already he's calling it before the snap Mm -hmm. the one thing i will say about tony romo bro put it Put a little bass in your voice. You're in front of a microphone right now. You got you can't sound like a nine year old on the microphone. Easier for some than others, bro. Yeah, well listen, you got you gotta put a little rasp in it. You know what I mean? Hey, so, Dallas! Hey, Dallas! Yeah, you know what I mean? You, you gotta be a man about you it. Need Go that ahead, TV Evan. voice. All right, so this this story kind of caught my eye over the weekend. I just want to get your guys' opinion on it. So Lewis Ward, you guys have never heard of him. Um, he plays in the CFL for the Red Blacks. And the only reason I'm talking about the CFL right now is because they put out a story saying that he broke Adam Vinatieri's record of uh, most consecutive field goals in professional football. Mm. I just want to know, where does the CFL get off just aligning their records with the NFL's? Like, is there is there any other—is is that acceptable, and is it acceptable in any other sorts of records? I for, got, for football. I once got in a fight with a Canadian fan that said, you know, the Pro Football Hall of Fame is the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So Warren Moon's stats should count towards and all these CFL records. No, nah, dude. I'm sorry, Canada. Canadian football doesn't count. Yeah. doesn't count. Wait, didn't Doug Flutie rip up the CFL? Yeah. And then he came to the NFL. Was, eh. yeah. it was, it was it's good. an inferior yeah. league. It's That's okay. It had moments. But it's it's just not the same league. You can't You can't take international rules and apply them to the American sport. Yeah. I'm sorry, it just can't happen. That's why, you know, the uh, the Hockey Hall of Fame, they're not talking about Russians. The rink, the rink is bigger in international play. Mm-hmm. The rules are different in international play. And right. sometimes the NHL, like the icing rule, you know, they'll adopt from international play. But it's, just, but it's just, like, hey, let's do that hockey. <laughs> no, you know, it. you can't apply, you can't, it's apples and oranges. Yeah. You just can't. So Canada, take a seat, let the big, but the grown-ups are talking about real football. Glad we all agree Ooh. on that. Glad we all agree on that. So um, if Doug P. were to pull this same move, let me get your guys' opinion. Coming up in London, Mike Vrabel uh, goes for the game-winning two-point conversion and doesn't convert. Uh, where, uh, he's the Titans head coach, and he was going up against the, uh, it was the, it was the Chargers in the London game early this uh, Sunday. So if Doug Peterson were, were to go for the game-winning two, what what is your guys' thoughts? I mean, if he converts, obviously it was it was a good idea. If not, he, you well, that, well, well, that that would mean that uh, gonna make a Doug Peterson would be back to his aggressive self. Yes. So uh, I is I, that what you're looking for out of Doug Peterson? I've you been, want more aggression? I, I guess I've been saying that, so I guess that I have to go. I have to go for it. Where they went went for two for the win instead yeah, of no. So they they scored a touchdown in, yeah. the, in the final moments, and yeah. that and a. An extra point would have given them the tie and pushed it to overtime, yeah. except he went for the two to try and win the game, and they lose. Now, there, there, there was a situation in Houston a, a while ago where David Carr, I think, that, you know, they're um, Dave Casper, Don Capers. Don Capers was the head coach, and he went for two. Yep. And they won the game, and he looked like a genius. 
Mm-hmm. You don't go for two, and you look like an idiot. I mean, that, that's the that's the risk you take. But absolutely, I'd under, I would go for two more times than that and try to win the game and get the hell out of there than I would kick, kick the extra point and try to go to overtime, especially knowing how the Eagles did already in overtime mm-hmm. and had the lead and gave it up anyway. I would just try to win the game and bounce. Or that, that was that game against the, the Ravens that we that we stood out in the freezing cold rain where uh, oh, yeah, yeah, Carson yeah, yeah, Wentz yeah, yeah, was down. Yeah. On, scored, they scored the touchdown instead of going uh, for the extra point. They uh, went with the slant to Jordan Matthews nice. for the win. And we didn't win. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what else? Again? You got one more? Here we got one more. So uh, there, was a, there was an interesting story that came out of Denver uh, just uh, yesterday. Chad Kelly was arrested uh, for a breaking and entering. He sat, he broke into someone's home and sat next to them on the couch and began mumbling to himself. And then the home resident tried to beat him with a vacuum tube <laughs> to ward him from the house. Um, what the hell's going on with Chad Kelly's career and, and the rest of Denver? Well, I think you probably have to blame mumble rap because I think it's affecting <laughs> our youth, as you can see. I mean, Chad Kelly's he was decent coming out of college, wasn't he? He's had, but he had, well, he, was, he was Mr. In- he's, irrelevant. Wasn't he's he? had issues. With the law and everything, mm-hmm. all throughout his college career, getting kicked off teams and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I mean, this is this is par for the course with Chad Kelly. Well, how yeah. did he get that far to the point where he was sitting down next to them? He just walked into her house, <laughs> sat down next to her on the couch. <laughs> like nobody stopped him when he opened the door. She tried to with a vacuum. Oh and, my god! And they, they, I guess they found him in a car, like in the neighborhood after he left. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of that's weird. Cut him. Move on. Yeah. He's not that important. Yeah, no. Cut him. Move on. He's made it this far just because of his talent. That's why. All right, before we get to the Twitter questions here, you know, we, we, we got a big historic game for the Philadelphia Eagles coming up, and that's traveling over to London and playing the Jacksonville Jaguars, who right now are three and four just as well as the Philadelphia Eagles. They got their own problems. Blake Bortles is going to be was announced as the starter uh, by Monroe, but he is going to be on a short leash. He's going to be on an incredibly short leash. This man is an absolute turnover machine. The Jags have had 10 turnovers in the last three weeks. The Jags are second worst in turnover ratio in the NFL. Although Bortles has played well in London over the last three seasons. He is 3-0, 36-point-per-game average, and an 8-1 TD to INT ratio. Keep in mind there is no Leonard Fournette. Uh, playing, He will be out of the game. So, Gail, let me ask you, if the Eagles are going to turn it around and beat the Jacksonville Jaguars, who right now are in the middle of their own identity crisis and having, you know, a disappointing season of their own, what do the Eagles need to do to take advantage of the Jacksonville Jaguars being at their first time in London? I think right away they're great against the run. Uh, if, and, and the Jags thrive off the, the running game. If the running game is going – they're playing well. Uh, we want Blake Bortles in passing situations because that guy is garbage, like I've been saying the last couple of weeks. Blake Bortles, all i got to say is Blake Bortles. Uh, it, and for me as a fan, if we if we lose to the Jaguars and Blake Bortles, yeah, that 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 you will true. you will never you will see a uh, side of Gale Saunders that you have never seen before. Really, because this team. This is a this is a statement game right here. This is this is what we're writing the ship game. And if if they can't beat Blake Bortles, Blake Bortles. Mm. My biggest fear going into the Carolina Panthers game is that the 
New York Giants game up in MetLife where we threw up 34 points against them, and we looked like the team of 2017. My biggest fear going into the Panthers game is if they lost that game, that would have been for naught. That was just a mirage. That was the Eagles taking advantage of a team that's desperate, badly banged up, looking bad, have zero confidence, a team that other teams were beating up on, and that's all that it was. Just the Eagles taking advantage of a bad team in the New York Giants if the Eagles lost to the Carolina Panthers. And I feel the same way going into Jacksonville. If the Eagles lose to the Jaguars, they would have learned nothing from that defeat. See, I don't want the Je- the loss against the Carolina Panthers to define this team in a negative way and be like, this is who the Eagles are. They were too dominant for three quarters of that football game and just choked it away at the end, let their foot off the gas, dancing after a kickoff or dancing in the end zone, not paying attention, and they got their butts ripped. Life defines you not upon how you behave when times are good. That's the easy part of life. In life as it is in football. What defines your character is how you react and respond when times are bad. How you get up off the mat, learn from your mistakes, and move forward. You had an excellent game against the New York Giants. We saw glimpses of that 2017 team. You screwed it up royally against the Carolina Panthers. What team are you? And I think you're right. I think this is the game, like if you can't beat Blake Bortles and a Jacksonville Jaguars team that is struggling right now, what does that say about your character, your makeup as a team and defending Super Bowl champions? It is a statement game, 100%. When you think about the games, that uh, the Titans game, they, they were matched up well, uh, but they just lost it in the fourth quarter. You look at, uh, I mean, you look at this last game against the Panthers, they matched up really well. They just couldn't close it out in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and being aggressive and having that curb stop mentality, I mean, you got to be aggressive, man. You got to let them know you're in the building. This is this isn't like uh, laid out and die out there in London. Uh, take no prisoners. This feels like a lifetime ago. Hey, tell me how good this feels right now. Just last week. I know. I know. When when we were when we were playing that during the intro. Absolutely. If if it feels like a lifetime ago, Carlos Hyde will make his debut for the Jacksonville Jaguars against the Philadelphia Eagles. This is a guy with a 3.35 yards per attempt, uh, five touchdowns, and 114 attempts. That's a, that's a that's a pretty heavy workload that he was dealing with out there in Cleveland. And the Cleveland Browns got a fifth round pick to trade him to the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's still Blake Bortles though. So speaking upon. What I said the Eagles need to do to right the ship. Understand that Blake Bortles is your quarterback. The man is a statue, and he throws the ball like Tim Tebow, all right? He is not a talented quarterback. The only way the Jaguars' offense can hurt you is through the running game. Get those wide, uh, get those cornerbacks up against those wide receivers. Blitz, yeah. blitz, blitz, blitz. But Bortles does like to run. Uh, he's a guy that he's not like I, I, super I should, I should super say, yeah. athletic, but like uh, he he can run. He's not going to give you the wiggle and the shake, but he'll give you the he'll take off and run. Um, but but, it, but it, sp- it speaks to what I was talking about before in previous episodes, where the Eagles struggle against, struggle against mobile quarterbacks, and I don't mean mobile in the sensitive terms like a Cam Newton. Obviously, they didn't struggle against the Cam Newton. I mean, the 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 Eagles held the Panthers to 106 yards going into the fourth quarter. 106 yards. Like, like Cam Newton had something like 50 yards passing going in the half. The statistics, I mean, like, uh, yeah, yeah. they don't 
struggle against a mobile quarterback like a Dak Prescott or a Cam Newton. They struggle with a guy, and I'll throw Blake Bortles in there. They struggle with a guy who moves horizontally in the pocket, chasing a dude around. The guy who can extend the play and keep his eyes downfield. Blake Bortles ain't that dude. So, Jim Schwartz, this is the opportunity for you to get back on track, get the defense up, get aggressive, create those turnovers. This is a team that's second in the NFL, only in front of the San Francisco 49ers, they have like a negative 14 turnover ratio. This is how you make this happen. This should be a bounce back game. Do not let what happened to the Carolina, what you did against the Carolina Panthers, define you as a team. Make a statement against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Hey, you know who their left tackle is? Who's that? Eric Flowers. Oh, <laughs> yummy, 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 yummy. I like that. I like that. Evan, if you were going to offer, because this is uh, this is there's so many dedicated Eagles fans over there in the UK. Yeah, Liam, uh, Sc- Scottish Eagle. Uh, there's got Brett out there. There's a whole bunch of them that are finally going to get to see their Philadelphia Eagles play in their neck of the woods, and I know they're all excited about it. If you were to give a UK fan a piece of advice or an expectation for seeing their Philadelphia Eagles. What would you what would you say to them? I would say uh bring the energy because the players obviously it was like I was saying earlier aren't going to bring it. What these Eagles seem to thrive on is a packed house. They really seem to appreciate when the fans travel well and honestly we've been saying it all year. We said it last year. We are the best traveling fans in the NFL. I know that it's going to be seas of green out there. So you need to just disrupt. You need to do your part in disrupting while um, while the Jaguars are on the field, while their offense is on the field. Be as loud as possible. Um, listen, guys, you guys are out there working. <laughs> like everybody needs to pull their weight for this. So uh, we're going to need some fan interaction if uh, we want to really ensure an Eagles win in this one. It's a must win. Please, be loud. I, I absolutely believe it. You know, the Eagles fans have a reputation here in Philadelphia. That's what gives them the home field advantage. Everybody out there in the U.K., you U.K. fans, man, mm-hmm. you got to hold it down. We're not out there. There's going to be a large contingent out there. I know the Green mm-hmm. Legion's traveling out there, so on and so forth. I don't believe the Jacksonville Jaguars fans are making their way to go out there. They can go out every year. Not like yeah. us. We are the White Walkers. Exactly. We will show up. <laughs> Unwelcome. Gail, what would you give uh, the UK fans an expectation or something, a piece of advice, something about game day that they can take with them into Sunday? I think it's about bringing that energy because I think, like Evan was say, saying, that, that the Eagles thrive off their fans' energy. You know, like when these big moments are there, looking at the, the sea of green. And I know I know the Eagle fans are going to show up. I, I, I see you guys all, all over Twitter. You guys rep so ridiculously hard across the pond. I think this is your shining moment as Eagle fans. Um, I think uh, just be quiet when the Eagles are on offense Mm -hmm. and uh, be loud when they're on defense Mm -hmm. and uh, just bring the thunder. Frankie. Yeah, that's actually one thing I can't stand when the fans are loud on offense. I'm like, (laughs) please be quiet and sit down. Um, Basically, just just enjoy it and and have fun because we don't know the next time we're going to be out there and, you know, bring the energy. Absolutely. I'm I'm going to talk about two pet peeves that I have now that I've been kind of traveling around to these Eagles games. Mm-hmm. Number one, Gail just t- touched upon it. Frankie echoed it. When the offense is on the field, shut up. Shut up. Don't be sc- – I, I know you're excited. We've went to L.A. and they're screaming when the Eagles offense is on the field. And we're, we're trying not to be jerks about it, but shh, quiet. Quiet when the offense is – if you listen to the crowd at Lincoln Financial Field, the – 
microphones in on the field are not playing tricks on you. You will hear the crowd roar, and then as soon as the huddle breaks, everybody shuts up. Shut up when the offense is on the field. Number two, let's go Eagles. Clap, 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 clap is not a thing. You know what the Vikings game they were doing that? I, I, I don't know what they were. Where they, did that come from? I don't know. But it's not a thing. Stop doing it. <laughs> it drives me absolutely bonkers when they, when it like let's go Eagles. Like the fans who invade yeah. a stadium. Well, let's go Eagles. But but that that that's a hockey chant. That's not a thing. Now now where do you fall on this? Because I really don't believe in doing the Eagles uh, fight song after a field goal. But no. But these guys, oh, they, these guys, the Eagles are traveling across the pond. Nope. It's the only time they get to nope. see them. Nope. No, no, no. no hey, listen, it might one? be your country. It might be your home stadium, but it's still our rules, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so there's no Eagles fight song after a field goal. It's after touchdowns only. By the way, the Eagles, all right, here's another piece of advice. The Eagles fight song happens after the extra point. After they score the touchdown, do not start belting out the Eagles fight song. You're premature. You got to wait for Jake Kelly to miss first. You're premature <laughs> fight songing. All right, you're pre- that's a premature fight song celebration. Okay, you want to wait till after the extra point. Somebody, I don't care, pick a leader. Go find Quimby from the Green Legion. He's going to be hard to miss. But let him lead you and fly, Eagles fly. And for the love of God, it's E A G L E S Eagles, <laughs> not Let's Go Eagles. Clap, 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 and and be quiet. Be quiet when the offense is on the field. I love it. Mike, are you ready for the Twitter questions? Yeah, man, let's do it. Uh, I did a poll, though. I said, who do you guys want more from the trade deadline? And I said, Bell or Peterson? And Bell took the win with the 60% over 40% with over Peterson. What do you guys feel about that? I dig it. I, I, I think, and earlier I alluded to, I don't think there's anybody out there in the trade market right now that is going to walk on water into the Novacare complex and save the season. I think, if anything, now that we're approaching week eight, midway through the season, you have to basically find the way within the organization that you currently have and the roster that you've currently completed. The only individual that I would make that exception for is Le'Veon Bell. He's a piece that that would basically, I don't want to say put you over the top, but he is such a difference maker in a position where you are so banged up. I don't blame the Eagles for not having more running backs or more talented running backs. They thought they were going into the season with Jay Ajayi, Darren Sproles, Corey Clement, Josh Adams, and Wendell Smallwood. That should get the job done. Unfortunately, Jay Ajayi, injured reserve, Darren Sproles, God only knows when we're going to see him again. Corey Clement, I'm sorry, Corey Clement is banged up. You can't tell me that the Corey Clement I'm seeing against the Panthers is the Corey Clement that's healthy. He's still banged up. The only healthy running backs you have on the squad right now are Wendell Smallwood, who is the definition of a serviceable running back. Mm-hmm. He is serviceable. Like, he's not He's not going to light the world on fire. He's going to make some plays. He's going to hit the holes he's supposed to hit. If it's not there, he's going to run headfirst into somebody. He's not going to juke somebody out of their shoes. Got Josh Adams, who's an undrafted rookie free agent. If you were to bring him in here, now the RPOs become more effective. The run game under center becomes more effective. He would be a guy that would make a huge difference in getting that point-per-game average from 22 back up to 28 where it was last year. Well, I, l- I love the idea of Patrick Peterson and solidifying the cornerback position, and it would make sense since he's going to be here long term. I understand the fans uh, wanting an explosive talent like Le'Veon Bell. He's a generational talent, a guy that can make the first man miss every time. 
He's got a patience rating of 99 on Madden. Uh, he can get his holes. It doesn't matter. Um, I think uh, everyone loves offense, mm-hmm. uh, and he would be an exciting guy to root for. Uh, I just don't know which Le'Veon Bell would show up. So, And I know the longer this goes on, the, the more the weeks and the days go by, the more apparent it becomes that the Le'Veon Bell situation it's probably not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, he looks like he is in such a mode to screw the Steelers. In other words, I'm going to show up after the trade deadline, and I'm going to force you in a position where you have to release me, and I become a free agent and get that bag anyway. We'll monitor that situation, see how that kind of all plays out, but it's mm-hmm. going to be interesting to see. Trade deadline is what, next week? Uh, yep. Seven days yeah. away. Yeah. Yeah. October uh, 30th. Seven days away. So Le'Veon Bell is probably not going to happen. And, Mike, correct me if I'm wrong, but Howard Eskin also tweeted something right before the show came on where he said something like there's no chance of Patrick Peterson. Or Yeah, he said that in the evening show. The evening show actually tweeted out saying that Howard Eskin thinks that Patrick Peterson is not even going to happen. Like, it's not even in the cards. I think it's Patrick Peterson actually driving this trade. He actually has his – he's feeding his cousin – uh, Brian McFadden, the information, so it's actually him driving uh, the news. That's interesting. Frankie, what would you do? Uh, I think if we were to go either way, I think Le'Veon would be a more realistic approach only because Jim Schwartz has been very adamant on his cornerbacks and how he loves Jalen Mills mm. and how he doesn't really see an issue there. <laughs> so I think, I think personnel would be more open to a running back than a cornerback. Interesting, interesting. I like it. What else you got there? All right, so uh, our first question would be from uh, Jeffrey Cross 33. He says, uh, guys, if things continue the way they are going, who is the first of the coaches to get the ax, Mike Rowe or Jim Schwartz? Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, I don't think Jim Schwartz is going anywhere. I don't think so either. It, I don't it think would so. probably be Mike Rowe. It would probably he, be Mike Rowe. He's got to. He's got to. You know, be the scapegoat of the situation. He's got to be the scapegoat. He's got to be the one Castillo. Even with Schwartz like getting <laughs> a head coaching position, possibly. Who's nah, going to get after one Schwartz a head coach right position? now? Yeah. <laughs> no. Like, like, like that was something to worry about after the Super Bowl, but after this performance that he's putting on right now. How, who's going to give Jim Schwartz a head coach? Maybe job? the Ottawa Red Blacks. <laughs> maybe, the, maybe the CFL comes calling. Absolutely. Mm. I, but, but I could see a situation like that. Like if this thing goes completely down the old commode and the Eagles do finish 7-9, and nine, or as statistically speaking, again, like BGN said, that of the 183 teams that have started 3-4 and four for the season, 54% finished sub-500. So the, the money's on. They're going to... F- finish sub 500 there's going to be a scapegoat there's go, there's going to be the Juan Castillo the sacrificial lamb Mike Rowe right now not getting it done and whether you know people like it or not I think there is a little something to the Frank Reich and Filippo. I think that they had a nice uh, little combination of, of minds before the games and I, I think their game plans together were, were pretty creative and I think when you lose two guys like that Offensively, you're seeing them struggle in on third downs and in, 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 right. uh, in the in the red zone, and those guys were a big part of that. Well, if you remember, the Eagles definitely thought that Filippo was a, a very good coach. They blocked him. If I if yeah, I was from the Jets, right? Yeah, from the Jets, from him being able to be interviewed. So it's obvious that the Eagles believe that he was a very integral part of, uh, of that success of that team. The, the, the more and more this season goes on, and I didn't want to believe it. I didn't want to believe that those two head coach or these those two coaches, coordinators, coordinators, right now head coach in Indianapolis and the coordinator in Minnesota, had that much to do with the game plan. 
but now it's kind of becoming evident that that yeah it yeah. is it, it, it is part of them i think those coaches were setting up doug to succeed with their creativity as well mm-hmm. matched with doug's aggressiveness i think it was aggressive play calling i think it was a great it was a great marriage at, at the time it's two different voices in the room that were getting through to this offense that i mean the voices that are in there now obviously are not doing the trick hmm. exactly mike uh, so another question is from uh, Darby Stan. She says, uh, do you think we are going so pass heavy or throwing on RPOs because of our options at running back, or is it just uh, poor play calling or reading? I think it's a product of uh, Doug just not having confidence in our running backs. I think I think if we had a more re- well-rounded, and we just talked about how the chances of getting Le'Veon are really diminishing, but if we could get any sort of threat in the backfield before the trade deadline, I feel like if we just make our offense more well-rounded, I don't think wide receiver is as much an immediate need as a running back right now. I just think that uh, we, we need to be able to even out the runs and passes. I think the offense, uh, the offense thrives on uh, spreading the ball. And when you're not getting to the third, fourth reads sometimes, uh, I think it's hurting the offense, uh, uh, extend drives and such. But I, I also believe that, you know, with the guys they have back there, you know, uh, Clement coming back from the quad injury, I don't think he's 100%. No, not at all. Uh, so I think – I don't think he's relying on the run game because he's not as confident. Frankie, what do you think? Well, Doug threw Carson under the bench – under the bench – under the bus um, when he was asked about the fourth and third call. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, you know, I called for the run, the run play, but Carson passed it. So I don't think he has um, – and I don't know if he has any doubt in his runners, but he shouldn't have thrown Carson under the bus like that if he made the bad call. He's been throwing little jabs out there, like yeah. about him He's holding testing. onto the ball yeah. a little bit, and, mm. you know, like. But it, you know, I think you know fans have been active on the timeline talking about uh, the clutch gene of Carson Wentz. Are but we talking about the butterfingers? But I think I think it's kind of he does he does have a little butterfinger. He does fumble the ball, and I think that's something he has to improve on. But I, I think Carson Wentz. In his short career, I think as time will go on, he, he's going to win these games. So uh, I just feel like, but I, I I'm not going to like not give blame to Carson Wentz. You know, sometimes we we all think of him as elite. So as elite quarterback, elite quarterbacks got to win you games. So mm-hmm. interesting, interesting. I'll go back to something I said uh, earlier in a podcast, and that was. I think a little bit of the RPO has been figured out by NFL defenses. In other words, the run-pass option is an option to the offense. However, if you take away a defensively one of those options, you are now defining what the Eagles are going to do in either run or pass. And the way the offensive line is playing and the way the receivers are banged up and they're not always getting open and, and stuff like that, The defenses are basically dictating to the offense, listen, we're going to take the run option and we're going to dare you to throw it. That, that's what's happening right now. So when Doug calls the run, and also too, like what I said before, is that you can't, you can't confuse an RPO for an under center run play. Like that's not the same mm-hmm. thing at all. Uh, they ran the ball 12 times out of shotgun against the Panthers. They ran the ball five times under center. I love like under chip. center. I love under center. One of like, like, listen, it's got to be easier as a running back to get a head start, and the defense still has to respect it. Like, this could be a play action pass. 
So you're getting a head start, you're picking your hole, you grab the ball, and you're, you're full steam ahead. It's easier to hit a hole that way. If you think about it, if, if you're standing in shotgun, you are handed the ball. You are more visible to the defense. They know you have the ball. And now you got to go from a complete stop to a complete start and try to hit a hole that is now collapsing on you. That makes the run, that makes it more difficult. And, and then when you're relying on Smallwood, who a guy whose his his vision is a little, you know, he'll he'll get no you vision. straight he finds ahead. The hole before the snap even happens, you know. Yeah. But his peripheral game is uh, a little Bad. sketchy. So yeah. I mean, if you got him going straight ahead, picking one hole, the A or the B gap, you know, we're we're good there. So I think I mean? it's a combination of the fact that uh, Doug Peterson is conf- not confusing. He knows darn right well what he's doing, but he's basically a run pass option is a run play. No, it's not. No, it's not. And then to, to compound that problem, I think NFL defenses are starting to figure out how to defend the RPO. And I want to make a big message out to Doug Peterson. Commit to the run game like you commit to your wife's or girlfriend. Stay committed. Crusher. Stay committed. Because <laughs> right now he's not crushing it. Stay committed. Crusher. <laughs> Stay committed. What else you got? Uh, I got another question from uh, football legend 7. He says, uh, would you rather the Eagles trade for an impact offensive weapon or a defensive playmaker? What position and player would you like and why? Le'Veon Bell, running back. We need running backs. It's going to help the run game. That's why. <laughs> yeah, I think that's already been answered. Yeah. Tevin Coleman, but they're not trading him. No. Sorry. All right, what about Tariq Cohen? You take it? They're not trading him either. What else you got, Mike? Next question, Right, what else we got? Yeah, we got uh, one more question with our boy Rich here in the studio. It's a really good question, actually. All right. Just wanted to change the conversation a little bit. What percentage would you guys say of your salary do you spend on Eagles apparel? (laughs) Too much. Yeah, let's start start with Gail. Lord. Lord. Uh, I'm going to say probably... Uh, ten percent, ten to fifteen percent. On if we're gonna go Eagles related, everything probably forty <laughs> percent. Oh, nice, 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 Evan. Uh, there's only so much fifteen dollars can get me, guys. <laughs> no, I'm, not, I'm not really balling out over here right now. Um, I pro- honestly though, way too much. Um, I would probably say. I mean, a as, solid, as he wears a shirt of himself. He's got a shirt of myself, yeah. <laughs> um, pretty much my entire wardrobe. I would say if I put a percentage on the war, of my wardrobe, what percent of that is Eagles gear, I would say that is a solid 50 to 60% right there. So if, if that answers your question. Frankie? Yeah, I'm the same on the wardrobe percentage. I haven't bought anything recently. Um, this is actually really bad. I don't own any Super Bowl gear. What? Because, no, listen, I'm very superstitious, okay. and last year when they started the playoff run, I didn't buy anything. Mm-hmm. So they won the first round, second round, didn't buy anything. So I was like, I can't go out and buy anything now, yep. then they'll just lose. I did the exact so. same thing with the uh, with the championship game. Yeah. But when they uh, beat the Vikings, I didn't go out and buy any championship gear, because yeah. I had the championship gear from, from before. No, yeah, before. I didn't buy that either. I, I, I was like, you know what? I'm buying Super Bowl or bust. That's, that's the only gear I'm buying. I didn't. I didn't spend a lot of money on Super Bowl gear, to be honest with you. I maybe I spent like three hundred dollars, and I think I that, that three hundred dollars that I spent was like the next day after the Super Bowl when the pro shop opened, and they were literally taking Super Bowl T-shirt, and they had a limited supply. Right. But we were in line bright and early, 
and I maybe spent like $300. I didn't spend a lot of money on Super Bowl gear. I will say what I do spend an obscenely large amount of money on is like the tickets and the flights yes. and the tailgates. Gas like, money. <laughs> like, yeah, gas money. Not only because I live an hour and a half away from Philadelphia, right. I live an hour and a half away from here. Yeah. You know, so so the gas, the tickets, parking. The, the parking, the stupid signs, the the tailgate, the beer Olympic stuff. Thank God we got sponsored by Bud Light. Because every tailgate I was spending like hundred fifty dollars on yeah. beer. You know what I mean? So so it's not so much apparel, but a big chunk of my salary and my yearly expenditure goes towards game day activities. Yeah, I remember I bought that uh that Super Bowl jacket, the white one. The crispy Fresh white one, shit. like uh, before the Super Bowl, and I was like, "Man, this is." Uh, I shouldn't have bought this, <laughs> but I, when we won and I was on Broad Street, I was like, "Yes, yes, I should have bought this." Yes, sir, I love it. Hey, we appreciate you turning, tuning in to this episode of Fourth and John. Make sure you check out the T Public shop on Wildfire's page. We want to give a special shout out to uh, T Public because they gave us pillows and coffee mugs and banners and all this stuff to kind of decorate the studio so big shout out to them we got a couple new designs up make sure you check them out uk fans enjoy it be loud be proud make noise not when the offense is on the field and we want to hear this loud and proud throughout the day e-a-g-l-e-s eagles make sure you're up yo yo football we're talking eagles football you're listening to fourth and john wait what the f- is a john anyway um you know next question i want you appreciate y'all putting words in my mouth can somebody please tell me what going on run through a mop Thanks. You can't yeah, handle the truth. Me on this the other day. I've had this for a couple years now. I forget where I got it. I think um, it might have been the pro shop, or I ordered it online. I'm all about the old eagle. Mm-hmm. You have to have it. Another game up coming up in London in a couple days. <laughs> The what game? No. I saw those packages prices and I was like, oh. My coworker.